You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Alrighty, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our online service. Uh, for those who don't know who I am, my name is Richard, and it's great to be with you in your living rooms or wherever you're catching this. So I hope you've got a good cup of coffee to uh, make up for that uh, hour that you missed out on sleep uh, over the night uh, as we spring forward. Um, but the exciting thing is we get a little bit more daylight, I guess. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, we're going to jump straight into our Lent series where, as we've been uh, building up towards uh, Easter Sunday. We're joining in a, a, a tradition as, as, as old as the church is that um, 40 days before Easter, there's a season called Lent. And it's a season marked by kind of reflection and, and repentance and, and a real returning to God. And so we've been uh, doing that the last couple of Sundays, and we'll be doing that all the way up until Easter. Um, I kind of put a little bit of a metaphor before where we're, where we're going today. Uh, in a book about walking called The Old Ways, the British writer Robert McFarlane says that paths are the habits of a landscape. Now, city planners, of course, design such paths, and we call them sidewalks. But McFarlane, the author, says that town planners can look at the city from above and recognize what they call desire paths. Now, what is desire path? So I'm going to put an image in front of you. You can see on the left is a path that city planners designed. But on the right is a path that the public, people like you and me, say over and over again, too bad, I want to go this way. And so they call actually call those paths desire paths. And so I want you to have that image kind of in the back of your mind as we walk through today, as we walk through, as we go through today's <laughs> message. Um, speaking about desire or how we're going to frame it, longing. And so much like those paths are there to direct our walking, desires really direct our lives. And so we would do well to pay attention to our desires, our deepest longings. You know, Jesus routinely asked people questions um, that really helped them get in touch with their desires. He would ask them, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And some pretty awkward conversations he has with people who clearly need him to heal him from blindness or whatever it is. But he asks them questions. He asks you and I questions so that we can get in touch with what's going on in here. Now, 17th century Blaise Pascal had this famous quote that says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each person which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. God-shaped hole. And what uh, Pascal's picking up on there is that there is these kind of drives, these desires, these longings, um, that if we get in touch with the very root of it, it's created for God. And we can fill that vacuum. We can try fill that hole with many things, but it's like a puzzle piece. Unless we get the right thing in there, we're never fully going to satisfy or realize the deep desires of our heart. So, with that in mind, with desire paths, kind of that picture in mind of, of how, how powerful longings and desires in our lives can direct or misdirect our lives, let's turn to Psalm 63, and we're going to uh, see a, a psalm that speaks about longing, and particularly longing for God. Um, it's a psalm that David pens, and so you can join me from Psalm 63, and uh, I'm reading from the NIV, and it says it like this, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you 
in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you, will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you're my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. feels like a good time to maybe pray and ask God to do something in our hearts today. So, Father, we do bring ourselves before you. We bring our hearts, we bring our longings, our desires before you, God. And we ask that they would be directed towards ultimately you, God, and our longing would be satisfied ultimately in you. And so would you uh, take your word today and uh, Make it do what it needs to do in our hearts and our lives for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this Lenten season is patterned after the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness. In fact, we started a couple of weeks back by looking at the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. Um, And then this psalm of longing is penned in another wilderness or desert. And so what is the significance about wildernesses? Now, I think it was back in 21 um, 2020 or 2021, that we actually did a, a, a series, a Lenten series, actually called The Way of the Wilderness. And I want to use that phrase and title because the, the wilderness plays a significant role, certainly in Scripture. Now, it tells us that David is in the wilderness. He's in the Judean desert. And this is a modern-day picture of probably what it looked like back then. I think not much has probably changed from what David experienced to what it is now. So a desert, a wilderness, pretty barren. Lonely, isolated, desolate, not much going on. Um, and it tells us David's there. And so why is David there? Well, we get the context if we read some of the other portions of Scripture. Um, and I'll save you the trouble of doing that today. But if you go to Second Samuel 15, chapter 15, it gives us a context of why David's there. David's kind of at the end, towards the end of his life. And his son Absalom, now imagine this, his son Absalom wants to overthrow David is king, and he wants to become king. And so he's begun to rally people around him. And so David's actually now fleeing to the desert away from his son. Pretty dysfunctional uh, father-son relationship going on there when your own son is conspiring to overthrow you as king. And so David finds himself in a wilderness. He finds himself alone with his thoughts, isolated, remote. And so we see this pattern throughout Scripture. We see Moses. We see Israel. We see Elijah, we see Jesus spend significant season in the wilderness. And so scripture is filled with literal, physical wilderness experiences, but it also acts as a motif or a metaphor for us in our journey. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in a wilderness. It's part of the Christian journey. It's part of life. And so metaphorically, it speaks of those times when we're tested. It speaks of times when we're uncomfortable. It feels like we're out of control or we're not in control of the circumstances or situations in which we find ourselves. And so we describe those times in wilderness terms, like dry and going through a dry season, or desolate, or desperate, or lonely, or difficult. And so physically, the wilderness clearly is a tough place to be, right? 
Uh, but it seems to be one of God's favorite places to do some of his deepest work in us. Go figure, right? <laughs> but if you look back on your life, um, you know, comfortable times are to be enjoyed. It's not to say like, let's, let's have the most uncomfortable life possible. But the reality is comfortable times really form us in a way discomfort forms us, really form us. It's like if you're trying to exercise at the gym, right? You need to push the boundaries. You need to get out of your comfort zone to grow. And so it seems to be the same principle in our spiritual lives. And God really does his greatest work in us when we go through those wilderness experiences. Um, used this quote before, but Barbara Brown Taylor says, as much as we might prefer to avoid it, the wilderness is where God is. The wilderness is where God does some of God's best work. And so we're going to talk about that today. So David's tough situation kind of reveals his longing, his deep desire for God. And so in this psalm, um, I see two pictures that we're going to explore today of what longing looks like, or specifically what longing for God looks like. And they might seem opposite images, but they actually work pretty well together. And so the first image is a desert, and the second image is a banquet. So longing for God looks very much like a desert and a banquet. So let's start off with the desert. What does it mean that longing for God looks like a desert? Well, in the desert, we're seeking. It's, it's, it's part of the, the, the struggle, if you will, of the wilderness. Look at what uh, David, the psalmist, says in verse 1, uh, describing longing. He says, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And so physically, he's looking out at this desolate, dry, barren place. And he says, it kind of feels a little bit like that on the inside. And so I'm seeking out for you, God. I'm seeking for you. My whole being longs for you. This is not just some neat little quiet time moment. This is consuming David's life. This is, it. This is survival for him is I need and must find God in my wilderness. And so the desert is a challenging and desperate place, but it also puts us in touch with our most primal uh, desires. And so in, in a way, the, the, the wilderness or desert experiences are really a, can be a real gift to us. Uh, those challenging times, maybe in the moment we don't see it, but can really be a gift to us because they reveal our priorities. They reveal sometimes, um, where our longings have been misdirected or we're looking to, to other things to really, uh, get satisfaction when only God really ultimately is the one that's going to satisfy those particular deep longings. That we have. And so again, we do well to attend to our longings because they're carving out desire paths in our lives. They're carving out a direction in our lives, much like those desire paths that we looked at right at the beginning. And so David's longing looks like this. It's not, not just longing. It's longing for God. He's going before God and he's longing for God because he knows enough. He's got a relationship. He's walked with the Lord for many years. And he knows if there's anything that's going to satisfy, if there's anything that's going to scratch the itch, if there's anything that's going to fulfill him, even in the desert, it's God. It's God. And so, you know, we, we would say like this, uh, we talk often about idolatry and how, um, you know, the reality is like, uh, if you encounter people say, well, I'm not really religious, I'm not really spiritual. You know, the opposite of religious worship isn't atheism, isn't not believing in anything. It's, it's what we would call idolatry. And so what do we mean when we say that is that, Every single person, regardless of their religious affiliation or not, every single person has desires and longings, has, has, is created to seek after 
And so for the Christian, we believe it's, we're created by God for God. And so those desires and longings um, stir within us. And so if we don't find them fulfillment in God, we'll find something else. We'll find, we'll put it in our families. We'll put it in our careers. We'll put it in experiences, sex. We'll put it in uh, power, we'll, in, a, in a million different idols. And each one's different com- according to how we're made up. Um, and so it's not that we turn off the desire, longing switch. It's not that we turn off worship. We just misdirect it or direct it to other things if it's not God. And so longing, you know, kind of the beginning process of longing, this, this psalm is also a, what we'd call a lament psalm. And, and a lament is really looking at the way things are and saying, I don't like the way things are. It's one way of looking at lament. It's, um, and it's really good because if you begin to acknowledge that you don't like the way things are in your life, you don't like the way things are in your relationship with God, you don't like the way things are in your spiritual growth, um, it can lead you to begin to seek the way things should be or ought to be and to bring about a longing for God in your life. Another picture of longing is maybe a more recent one is, um, I don't know how many of you have been tracking what's happened at Asbury University down in, in Kentucky in the States, but, um, whether you want to call it a revival, an outpouring, an awakening, um, it's pretty something pretty significant happened. And so on uh, April, sorry, April, on February 8th, um, at a normal chapel service at this university, a small university, about 2,000 uh, students at this university, um, eight students decided to linger a little bit after the chapel service. Now, there wasn't anything pretty, anything unusual about the chapel service. I actually watched the, the message preached. It was a good message, but even the guy who preached it said, like, he kind of, like, didn't really do much preparation, but it wasn't really inspiring. But eight students felt like they just wanted to linger a little bit longer and pray. And so they did that, and they began just to invite their friends, hey, if you want to join us, we're praying. By that evening, hundreds had gathered with them. And after about two weeks, they'd had nonstop, 24-7 prayer and worship at this chapel, at this hall, and then even it's begun to spread. You know, the town that they're in, Wilmore, Kentucky, I was actually there last summer. I'll be there this summer because across the road from Asbury University is Asbury Seminary, and this is where I'm doing my doctoral studies. And so the town is about 6,000 size population. It's like two traffic lights and, and you're done the town. It's, it's not a big place at all. But thousands and thousands of people around the country and even around the world began to flock because there was something happening. There was a longing for God there. And uh, you can read accounts of what was going on there, but it was really for a, a younger audience. It was just a hunger and a longing and a stirring for God, a lamenting at the way things are, maybe in their lives, maybe as they look at their country, maybe as they look at their generation and saying, God, we are longing for you. Now, I'm going to read a long quote uh, from the um, president of Asbury's uh, Seminary and, um, and, and his take on what was going on there. Um, so, and as I read a bit of his, uh, of this long quote, I just got some images of what was taking place at Asbury coming up on the screen. And you can just have a, another picture of what longing looks like, what desire looks like. And so Timothy Tennant, the Asbury Theological Seminary President says this, his take on the Asbury outpouring. He says, this is much bigger than any one institution or any one town. As with any move of God, there are people who don't understand what is happening or are quick to be critical and dismissive. Others see this as the beginning of a new spiritual awakening, especially among our Gen Z youth. Those are people that are born between uh, around about 97 and 2012. Uh, A lot of our university students are in Gen Z. 
that will ultimately be determined by the fruit of transformed lives. It has certainly been disruptive to our normal routines, but the resurrection and Pentecost were also disruptive. Now, listen to what he says here. Whenever God moves in our lives, it breaks us from our comfortable routines because the gospel always challenges our overly domesticated experience of the gospel. And this is why I think God loves wildernesses. This is why I think God loves to take us into times of uh, trial and testing in our lives because he loves us and because we often settle and domesticate just the radicalness of his love and his gospel in our lives. It's happened in my life. It happens in almost all of our lives. We just don't live at the fervor that we um, that we really should if we really get the, the, the gospel really grips our heart, the love of God really grips our heart. And so moments like that, revival, outpouring and awakening, whatever it is, awakening of the longing and desire ultimately for God, and then normal routines are disrupted and people spending hours praying, worshiping, seeking God. Um, nothing's too much. Nothing's too much for, for God. The, the, you know, the, the normal life is disrupted. We forget about eating because we're seeking God. This is what uh, God does when he awakens us to him. And so longing for God begins by seeking God with a renewed sense of this desperation and hunger. Um, and they're often provoked by desert times of lives, right? When things are comfortable, we're not really provoked to change things because things are comfortable. I like the way my life's going. But when disruption happens, when uh, discomfort, difficulty happens, it can be a way to awaken us, to really seek God, to really have, have I neglected God fully in my life? So that's the one picture, a desert. A desert provokes us to seek, to go after our longing, ultimately our longing for God. But then the other half of the picture is a banquet. It's almost like two opposites. In the desert, you have a fasting and a thirsting for God. And then in a banquet, you have a feasting. But this is the great um, promise of Scripture that seeking leads to finding. Fasting leads to feasting in God. And so let's look um, at the banquet, feasting on God. A couple of verses down in this, we see this. David says, because your love is better than life, I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of food. And I think the key to this psalm, I think the key to David's longing is that he finds what he's longing for. He finds what he's seeking. So seeking is an important part of longing for God. But until we find that, until we are satisfied in God, that's just only one part of it. That we come to a place where we taste and see that God really is good, that God really is enough. I mean, David, it's a staggering claim. I will be fully satisfied. I mean, ask yourself, what do you think will fully satisfy you right now? You know, for some of us, it's just, just we need something right now. Right? If I got married, if I found that person, that would fully satisfy me. If I got that raise, if I was able to buy a house, if I was able to do this. And so it's not negating any of those needs. Those are important to you and important to God. But the order of it sometimes gets elevated in our lives that it rivals really where God should be. It's not that God doesn't want us to have our needs met in those other ways. Obviously, we, our needs need to be met in multiple ways. But what we're talking about is a deep desire ultimately for God, but often we can fill it with things that we think um, will give us the full satisfaction our lives crave. And so we're creatures of desire. Uh, and so we must seek fulfillment for our longing in the right place and in the right ways, on the right desire paths, if you will. And so God's not out, I mean, just to make this very clear, God's not out to kill your or my 
desires, but he does want to help redirect our desire paths to find their satisfaction in him. And so what will fully satisfy you? It's a, an intriguing question, right? What, what really do you think would really fully satisfy you? Um, over the, the Christmas period, I, um, I listened to an auto, um, autobiography, uh, by Matthew Perry, uh, the audiobook. Um, for those of you who don't know, Matthew Perry is, he's an actor who's probably most famous for his role as Chandler Bing on the series Friends, right? And so if you don't know what Friends is, Matthew Perry, I can't help you, but you should go and <laughs> go and Google it. It was huge, massive. And, um, at the height of it, they were filming about 22 to 25 episodes a season and they were getting paid about a million dollars per episode. So you work at the math. They were doing pretty good. Um, his book is, is really, um, I mean, sobering is the right word because he, he deal, deals a lot with his addiction in that book. But here's a, but it, it was surprising to me as well how much, uh, 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 faith is in his struggle as well. And so again, the seeking, the longing, the desire, right? You can just see it in his life and it's been filled with addiction. It's been filled by looking for fame. It's been filled by so many different things that power and fame and money bring you. And you'd think like that. So if I just got a bit more money, if I was just a little bit more famous, if I just got a bit more power and agency in my life. And, and like he and a lot of people who have that say the same thing. But here's a quote from his book that I found really, uh, kind of sobering, if you will. It says, I think you actually have to have all of your dreams come true to realize they are the wrong dreams. You have to get famous to know that it's not the answer. And nobody who is not famous will ever truly believe that. You have to get famous to know that it's not the answer. You could put there, you have to get blank, fill in the blank, to know that it's not the answer. Now, it's easy for someone who is rich and famous to tell us that aren't rich and famous, like, it's not the answer. Like, oh, I don't know. I'll, I'd like to wear that and see it for myself. But I think I've heard that from a number of people. And it, you, you fill in the blank. You say, like, now, using a, a Matthew Perry quote is a bit of a danger because none of us like, oh, I don't, I don't want that fame. I don't need that level of money. But you'd fill in the blank. You have to get what to know that it's not the answer, not the answer. It could be a answer, but it's not the answer of really ultimately the full satisfaction that God desires for you. And it ultimately only comes in him. You know, for a lot of people, a lot of people, you have to get married uh, to feel fulfilled, whatever it is. Um, and so for the, the married folk, we would say you have to get married to know that it's not the answer. Okay. Now it's easy for a married person to say that for, to a single person who's longing for that connection, longing for that intimacy with someone. But marriage is a great gift. Once again, these are great things. There's nothing wrong with marriage. God loves marriage, but we can look to marriage to and elevate it to a place in our lives. It's just not meant to be. We're trying to elevate it to a place of God in our lives and it's just not meant to be. And we, we crush our spouse with that expectation or with as parenting, elevate our kids to a level where just they're just not meant to occupy in our lives. And so come back to David. He says this, your love is better than life. What a staggering statement. David is a king. Think about the, 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 the power, the fame, the wealth, the lifestyle, the woman, anything he wants, he can get. And he says, all of that doesn't compare to your love, God. Your love is literally better than life. I mean, I don't know if I could, with true conscience, say that, like, wow, God, I, you know, I would trade it all, you know, like, it's, it's a, it's, it's a staggering thing for David to say. And he's talking about God's love. He's talking about God's love. And this, your love is, is, is mentioned over in scripture. It's a Hebrew word called 
chesed, and it's often translated steadfast love, loyal love, loving kindness. It happens all over the Bible, and it's a relational, active love God has towards people. And it combines the idea of his unconditional love. It combines the idea of his kindness, his generosity towards us, and his faithfulness to us, his enduring commitment. But this is the heart of worship. David is, in, is capturing for us what the true heart of worship is. Worship isn't more than just singing songs. It's more than just doing our doing religious duty. I'm not those are important aspects of worship. But worship ultimately comes to the heart. It's the heart of worship. And it's to say, God, ultimately you, your love is better than, fill in the blank, is better than. You know, it's better than the fame, the power, the riches. It's better than whatever it might be for you that rivals God's love. This is the heart of worship, what we value and treasure most. And the wilderness is necessary because the wilderness exposes and reveals what's truly in our hearts or the things that we are looking to, lesser things that we look to to fully satisfy us. Because your love is better than life, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. And there's the picture of that banquet, that I'm feasting on God and I have my fill and I'm satisfied. I'm fully satisfied in God in a way that I just wouldn't be fully satisfied if I try to try to try to get something else to occupy the place that only God can. And so God desires you to be fully satisfied. You know that, that God desires you to be fully satisfied. God desires you to be happy. And God knows that it can your happiness and your satisfaction will only occur when we make him truly God in our lives. And it's and it's and God wants us to experience that. He wants us to seek him and to feast on him. He wants us to, to long for him, and then he longs to fulfill us when we long for him. And longing, scriptural longing, biblical longing, it's kind of like the more we feast on God, the more our hunger grows for God. It's kind of a weird thing. Like we, we, we feast on God, we're satisfied. It's like, oh, but I want more of you, God. I want more. It's not like, a, okay, great. I think I'm good for the next six months. God, I'll, I'll check back in with you in six months' time. It's, it's not like that. It's, it's a feasting that grows our hunger for God. And the opposite is true is that if we're not feasting on God, our appetite for God isn't, isn't there. It's like, and, and then we settle for such lesser things. You know, we're, we're eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich when a whole banquet is laid out for us. I, I, I love a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But man, if you've got prime rib and you've got all the just del- delicacies right there, there's just no comparison. And so often uh, we're blinded to the banquet that's before us and we're settling with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so in closing, uh, as we're in this Lenten season, as we're in the season of reflecting, repenting, here's what I think you and I can do today and returning to Jesus. is Firstly, attend to your longing and desire. Pay attention to your desires. Maybe write out that sentence, you have to, I have to have what to know that it's not the answer. Right? What is it specifically for you that's driving you? Um, and not to say that that drive month is bad, but is it in a, a wrong place? Is it misdirecting the path? Uh, that God wants you to be on. I know for some of you, you might you might acknowledge like I don't yeah I don't really have much longing for God, and I want to remind you of this great quote uh, from the German theologian. He says the soul must long for God in order to be set set aflame by God's love. But if the soul cannot yet feel the longing, then it must long for the longing. To long for the longing is also from God, and I love that. Because really, if we just bring whatever it is, God will take that and God will use that. 
And so sometimes we think like, oh, yeah, longing for God, 24-7 prayer, that's, I'm just not there yet. Like, okay, what is there? God, I don't have any longing, but I long to long for you. Start there. Start being, being honest. Start looking at what, where things are at. That's the beginning of lament. Look at where things are at and say, God, I long for the longing. I, I long to be hungry for you. I hunger for the hunger. The second thing after attending to our longing or lack thereof is to press into longing, is to lean into it. And often that comes through prayer. You know, Jesus talked about ask, seek, knock. He talked about persisting in prayer. It's not just a one-off thing. Um, this psalm is a prayer. The psalms are really a book of prayers, of, of longings, of crying out to God. Prayer always precedes our outpourings and awakenings like that. Um, you know, we're feeling a stirring in our church just to pray and seek God more. We, you know, there's opportunities that we want to try and create to do that more. And, but one right now is if whenever we meet in person, we have a pre-service prayer. Come out to that. Allow moments like that to, to, to stir you. Because the third thing is, not only do you need to attend to your own desire, press into prayer, but the third thing is get around people who are longing for God. Get around a community of people who are wanting the same thing that you're wanting. And it's amazing how that rubs off, how their longing can also rub off on you. Uh, and I want to leave you with this, talking about feasting. Um, Jesus really is the embodiment of God's steadfast love for us. He really is the in flesh of God's love, of God's generosity, his kindness, his faithfulness, his unconditional love to us. And we are invited to be fully satisfied in Jesus. Jesus himself said it like this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so I want to leave you there with Jesus, that he is more than enough to satisfy your deep desire, your deep longing. He is more than enough to satisfy your hunger, um, your thirst in life. And so it's coming to him and it's acknowledging that. It's attending to my desire. It's pressing into prayer and it's joining with a community of people who are also longing for God. And so if there's a way that we can help you with that, I encourage you to make use of our uh, Next Steps card. Uh, come out to our in-person service next week. Join us at the pre-service prayer uh, be on the lookout for maybe other opportunities that we're going to try and put together to to get before God, to increase our desire and our hunger and our longing for God. You know, if, if we look at our lives, if we look at the, the lives of people around us, if we look at the state of our city, our country, our neighborhood, whatever it is, the world, uh, we don't have to look very long to see that a dissatisfaction with the way things are. And that's a gift. But it's what you do with that gift that's really important. Bring that to God. That lament turn into longing and that longing then turn into feasting on Him. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.